Hey, podcast listeners, want to let you know about a slight change happening to your podcast subscription in the new year. Come January 1, if you have been previously subscribed to this podcast, you will find yourself unsubscribed because we're making a switch in podcast hosts. I barely understand it myself. But what I do need to tell you is that once the new year comes, you need to search Apple Podcasts or Spotify for this podcast under the same name and resubscribe. You'll have access to all of the old content and new content will automatically be uploaded to your device. So thank you for your patience with that. And we look forward to bringing you more content as we go along. What is it that brings you joy? You might think of a milestone in your life, like a wedding or a birth of a child. You might think of accomplishments that you've had in your life, maybe at work or, or otherwise. You might think of relationships, friendships that are meaningful to you and you find joy spending time with a certain person, or you might think of your work. Maybe that's meaningful. It brings you joy. There's all kinds of experiences that we have in this world that bring us joy. Now, on this third Sunday of Advent, joy is the theme of the week, and so it causes us to think a little bit about what true joy is. Now, you'll remember that as we've jumped into Advent, we've reminded ourselves that sometimes the way that we celebrate Christmas is actually not very deep. It's actually pretty shallow and actually doesn't go deep enough to the hard realities of life. And Advent actually reminds us of those hard realities in the darkness of the world and contrasts it with the light of Christ. That's why we're slowly lighting these candles each week as we build up to the arrival of Christ. So as we think about joy this week, we want to remember that true joy is found in Jesus. In contrast to kind of the fake joy that we throw around these days, Jesus brings true and lasting joy. You know, it's actually kind of hard, as I said last week, when uh, someone is really struggling at Christmas time and all they keep hearing is, hey, you should be merry, you should be joyful, you should be happy right now because it's Christmas. And sometimes that just doesn't sink deep enough because we can't manufacture that true kind of joy. So today, what I want to do is talk about three ways that we can build joy in our lives. Three ways that we can understand joy and three ways that we can build it. Three, three ideas and then three postures that will help us to experience this in a real kind of way. So the first one is that true joy is a gift. True joy is a gift. The kind of self-help kind of joy can actually be defeating because we can't manufacture it on our own. Like think about when you're having a really bad day and someone comes around and says, you should really be feeling happy right now, right? You can try and pull yourself out of the, the, the depths of the sorrow or whatever it is that you're feeling, but it only lasts for a few moments because we can't produce happiness on our own. Joy is actually something that's given to us. We see this in various places throughout the scripture. The first is in Galatians 5. We read that the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of us trying really hard to be joyful. It's kind of like if you planted an apple tree in your yard and you tended to this tree and you watched it grow and you waited the requisite number of years until it was ready to produce fruit. And as it was ready to produce fruit, what is it that you're expecting? You're expecting apples to grow. So if all of a sudden your apple tree starts to grow oranges, you will think there's something wrong with this tree. It's an apple tree. It should be producing something 
in line with its character, in line with its nature. It should produce the fruit that it's designed to produce. And it's the same thing for us as Christians. As we grow and as we put our roots down into the soil and we draw nutrients from the word of God and from spiritual disciplines such as prayer, and as we exist in community with other believers, we grow to become strong. And what's produced in us, it's things like joy. It's a gift that the Spirit produces in us. We read about this gift in 1 John chapter 1 as well. John is writing about Jesus and about his experience with Jesus and telling them that we've seen Jesus and this is why we write to you. He starts his letter by saying, this is that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and which our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is Jesus. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you, why? To make our joy complete. In other words, Jesus, who is eternally from the past and will exist eternally into the future, has come to this earth and this fills us with joy. And John says, we just have to write to you about this because of the joy that has been given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. This joy is a gift through the Holy Spirit and in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Jesus says this in John 17. He's praying to the Father. And he prays this in verse 13. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus says, I'm going to leave them with this joy that is mine in its completeness, and I'm going to give it to those who will follow me. That's a real contrast with earthly joy, which we can't just manufacture on our own in a lasting kind of way. To be sure, we will have all kinds of joyful experiences here on earth. But true, meaningful, lasting joy comes only from the Father. In uh, 1961, the Russians were the first person to put a man in space. Uh, Yuri Gagarin was his name. And he went up and he came back and he kind of told people of his experience. And at one point, the Russian premier at the time said that, that Gagarin went into space and the cosmonaut discovered that there was no God there. Now, C.S. Lewis heard of this, and he responded with an essay that he called The Seeing Eye. And he says, well, it's not surprising that man went up into the air and did not find God. Because as Lewis says, God doesn't relate with humans as a man on the second floor would relate to the man on the first floor. No, God relates to mankind as Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world. He's the one who placed him there. And all Hamlet will ever know about Shakespeare is that which Shakespeare chooses to reveal to Hamlet. And so Tim Keller reflects on this in his book, Hidden Christmas, and says, the claims of Christmas is infinitely more wonderful. God did not merely write information about himself for us to understand. He actually wrote himself into the drama of history. He came into our world as Jesus Christ to save us and to die for us. This is the gift of God revealing himself to us and in the process giving of his joy to us. It's a gift that we receive rather than something that we work really hard to build. So if joy, a true joy is a gift, how do we 
how, how do we put ourselves in a posture then to receive it? Well, I think we do so by cultivating intimacy with God, by practicing those spiritual disciplines, by allowing our roots to go down deep. Christ then fills us with the joy that he gives us as we cultivate intimacy with God. So true joy is a gift. Secondly, true joy is found in obedience. True joy is found in obedience. So there, there is some work that we do to cooperate with God as he gives us this gift. I was thinking about the Christmas story through this lens, and I thought, how many points could this Christmas story have fallen apart if one of the characters in the story had said, no, I'm not interested? Like, God, you asked me to do something and be obedient, but no, I'm, I don't want to do it. It's remarkable, and it's obviously it's God-ordained, and so things unfolded according to God's plan. But, but what if one of those characters had said, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want any part of this? Now, instead, they actually leaned in with obedience, and as they obeyed, they were filled with the joy that God gave them. Uh, some, some examples we could look at. Mary's the first one. She's told she's pregnant, and she's conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is enough to blow your mind. And she's initially kind of questioning this, but she gets to the point where she says, okay, I'm, I'm in. And she actually sings this song that we have recorded in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thought. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary looks at all of what God was doing and says, I can't help but rejoice. I'm full of joy because of what God is doing. Jo Joseph was the same initially when he finds out that Mary's pregnant. He's, he's a noble guy, but he's going to divorce her quietly. And God says, no, you need to go ahead with this because this is my work. And we don't read of Joseph's joy, but just imagine as he watched Jesus grow up, the joy that would have filled his heart. Or the shepherds, they hear this Message from the angels, go see this child that's been born. And what's their response? Luke 2.15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard about it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which are just as they had been told. They're filled with joy when they saw what God had told them to go and see. Or Simeon and Anna, these are two older folks waiting to see the Messiah before they died. Simeon sees Jesus and takes him in his arms and praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Anna, further on in verse 38 of Luke 2, says, Coming up at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There was joy in their submission to God and, and what they had seen. Or the wise men would be our last example. They, 
follow this star, make this long journey. And when they finally reached their destination, verse 10, when they saw of Matthew 2, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now that's actually a tame English translation. The Greek actually gives us this. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Like they were so joyful because they had found this baby who had come to be king. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts fit for a king. Joy is produced as we submit to the Lord and as we follow him. We see this in John 15. Jesus would teach this later on in his life. Starting in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. So how is our joy complete? Our joy is complete by remaining in the Lord, which means following his commands. The greatest of these commands is to love one another. He carries on by saying, my command is this, love each other as I've told you, or as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So joy is complete as we surrender to God in obedience. So what's the posture we need to take to experience this joy? It's to submit to Jesus' leadership, to submit to him, to obey him. And there's been many people that I've talked to over the years that as they obey Christ, even in ways that are costly to them, they say, I'm experiencing a joy as I follow the Lord. This is costing me, this obedience is costing me in this way or this way, but I'm experiencing joy and peace because I'm following him. So true joy is a gift and true joy is found in obedience. Thirdly, I want to say this, true joy is always available. It's always available. Now, there are some difficult things, of course, that we face in this life. And I think all of us are tired of some of the circumstances we're in, right? The pandemic continues to drag on and we continue to talk about masks and vaccines and variants and public health orders and all of this is so draining. It can easily rob us of joy, but the true joy that Jesus offers is available even in the midst of all of that. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's joy to be found in the fact that I'm walking through this trial and yet something is happening within me where the spirit is developing my character so that I will be mature and actually not lacking anything. And in that, I find joy. Peter writes something similar in 1 Peter. He's just written about the salvation that is offered to us through Jesus. And he says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, this gift of God of salvation brings us inexpressible and glorious joy, even though we walk through difficulty. Now, remember, Advent is a, a season of anticipation and waiting, anticipating that Christ will come again. 
And so this future glory that will be ours actually produces joy in the present. Paul says in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Or uh, Jesus says in John chapter 16, in verse 22, he says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy, this knowledge that one day we will see Jesus again face to face and spend eternity with him fills us with joy, even in the present difficulty. See, true joy isn't dependent on temporary circumstances because it's linked to an eternal kingdom. That's why our joy can transcend our circumstances. Uh, the author of Hebrews understood this and understood that Jesus went through this very same thing. In Hebrews 12, he says, let us run our race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus had the end in mind, even as he went to the cross, he knew there is going to be the joy of resurrection, the joy of redemption and reconciliation with all mankind at the end of this journey. And so I will walk through it, even though it's hard. Rob Reamer says, too often we ask the wrong questions in times of difficulty. We ask the question, why? I find it counterproductive. It leaves my soul with mistrust. And God has never promised to answer that question. I've learned instead to ask the question, how? How can you redeem this for your glory and for your kingdom? That's an Advent question. God, the darkness in the world seems overwhelming. How are you going to redeem this? How are you going to use this? And when we can have our attention on that question and asking God to give us the strength to persevere, we can pray as, as Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 8, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That the joy of the Lord fuels us on through the difficulties because we know what's waiting for us on the other side. So what's the posture here? The posture is to fix your eyes on what has been promised. Fix your eyes not on the temporary situation, but fix your eyes on what has been promised. So in this Advent season, my prayer is that you will experience true and lasting joy, the joy of Christ. And that even the hopelessness and helplessness we feel in this world will produce that joy as we look at the light of Christ, which bursts into the world. Amidst the hustle and the bustle and the pseudo joy that we celebrate this time of year, seek the real thing true joy that is found in Jesus. There's a quote uh, from Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. This may be my first sermon reference to The Lord of the Rings, but it's a wonderful one. Uh, there's a point near the end of these books where he's, he's experiencing this weight of the world on his shoulders, and, and he laughs in the midst of all of that. And it's revealed that despite the care and the sorrow that he's experiencing, underneath it is, he says, a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. So my prayer for you is that you would experience this deep joy in the depths of your soul 
despite the other things that maybe weigh you down. May Jesus make that a reality for you this season. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come into this world and that you are coming again. We thank you that you give us your joy, that our joy may be complete in you. May we recognize where our joy is actually a kind of pseudo joy, an earthly joy that isn't deep enough. May we replace that with the joy that you give as we receive it as a gift from you, as we obey you, and as we look to what you have promised. We thank you for this time of year, which reminds us of these things, and we pray that that joy would sink deep in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.